to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Hello, welcome to Pod Damn America. Today, we are talking about cash, baby, greenbacks, uh, simoleons, is that one of them? Um, dollars. <laughs> it's, uh, it's mad money today here on Pod Damn. It's sad money, maybe a better show where the guy just, he just laments about the stock market to you. And he's very sad. That'd be cool. Let's make that show. <laughs> I'm Jake Flores. Anders Lee is here. Anders Lee here. Alex Patak is here. Welcome to dad money. I'm disappointed. <laughs> he's disappointed that the stocks are going down and stuff and that he's not a Spartacist anymore. You know hey buddy, I'm this? dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dad jokes. I've been uh, I got two new kittens and I've been doing dad humor at them because they feel like my children I like to walk into this room sometimes and go like hey guys you rocking and rolling all right see you later and they uh then they just throw up on the floor it's pretty cool they're gonna do that sounds <laughs> like the federal reserve kind of god damn excellent Great segue. point Anders kept my kittens Vomiting on the floor sounds exactly like the Federal Reserve. And we have someone here to explain the Federal Reserve and many other opaque money-related things to us. Uh, welcome to the show, Rowan Gray, uh, president of Modern Money Network, and uh, helped uh, on the creation of a bill that we're going to talk about today called the ABC Act. How are you doing? Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, good, thanks. Ah, good. Uh, Glad to have you here. I myself need experts like yourself to explain this sort of stuff to me because I have the brain fog when I try to understand economics and uh, things involving various you know, treasury-related related issues. So I think we'll be doing a bit of demystifying today. Um, yeah, sure. But to, uh, to start off, though, I think I got my head around it. I think I read everything, and I think I have a clearer view of what's happening. Um, we'll be talking about... Rashida Tlaib's bill, the ABC Act. Um, can you tell us a little bit about it to start off? Yeah, so in brief, it's uh, emergency cash relief to everybody, by which we mean everybody. So uh, children, undocumented people, homeless people, all eligible. Uh, the money comes uh, $2,000 a month for the duration of the crisis and then another $1,000 a month for a year thereafter to help people get back on their feet. Uh, you get it in the form of a prepaid debit card unless you want it in direct deposit, in which case you can get that. Uh, so to get your prepaid debit card, you sort of you know sign an affidavit if you don't have other forms of ID. The information is kept secure. You can use those cards any way you want to use cash. There's no fees. There's no fines. And the uh, bill is set up so that it's funded by uh, minting a series of trillion-dollar platinum coins so it doesn't uh, involve any treasury debt or any kind of convoluted accounting schemes with the Federal Reserve. Uh, and there's a proposal at the end to, uh, after the crisis, transition to a system of digital accounts and digital cash wallets to, for everybody publicly provided 
and to have a commission on inequality um, as a result of the crisis and everything before that. Uh, okay. Rowan, I have a very basic question here for you that I'm sure you've, this is probably what you feel every time you talk about this bill. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe this is something, I don't know, the general public should just have knowledge of to begin with. But how will making a big fancy coin add money to the treasury? <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, p- partially this is sort of an accounting gimmick. It's it's partially about the spectacle. It helps get attention to it. It helps kind of make clear that there isn't anything deeper going on. Um, but the reality is, all forms of government spending are putting money in people's pockets that didn't exist there before, right? We we think of it often like governments, like a household. You know, you and me, we walk around, we use the money, we kind of, you know go past go, collect $200. But the government's in a unique position. Um, it's it's sort of more like the scorekeeper, you know. It's, it's the entity that, that awards the points in the basketball game. It's not the one sort of, you know, shooting the hoops. So the idea of whether you issue it as government debt or, you know, government money is is a sort of secondary question to that deeper idea that when you and I get money from the government, that's putting more money in circulation than existed beforehand. It doesn't matter whether that's in the form of, government securities or, or cash, the functional effect is there's more money out there than there used to be. And once you get that, once that kind of light bulb goes on, the rest of it all kind of fall, falls into place as, as kind of an obvious conclusion of that. But what we saw after the 2008 crisis is people don't understand that. And then you have these sort of reactionary right-wing political movements pushing austerity, pushing sort of, you know, debt reduction, all these things the, med- the minute this crisis is over. So the coin isn't necessary but it's a very powerful way to frame the debate right now and saying we're not going to play into this bullshit for another tech decade after the crisis. We're not going to be sort of cutting public schooling and, and you know, saying we don't have money to do other good things because we spent a lot in this crisis. Okay, so just to kind of frame this entire thing, to get like my listener sort of just a snapshot of where we are, what's going on, I want to sum up kind of what's going on. Rashida Tlaib's pushing this bill. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the bills that is basically designed to bail out us. Um, it's, you know, it's a specific way of administering aid to everyone who's being affected on the ground by COVID, yada, yada, yada. Uh, people are obviously arguing about it. And I think arguing about whether or not this is a good or bad idea, interestingly, uh, to me, uh, kind of causes if you have the discussion long enough, if you go far enough down this wormhole, it causes people to basically ask each other the question, like, wait a minute, what is money? What, like we have to go all the way back here. And I read yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the entirety of the myth, coin website. And I, I went into that and I thought it was really interesting um, because I, I'm going to lay out, I guess what is my basic understanding of what happened here. And uh, you can go ahead and tell me if I uh, got any of it right, but it seems like, the coin is is a gimmick. It's a, a kind of a loophole to get around, um, you know, there certain restrictions that are put on the government's ability to just fucking print money for situations like this. But the, the the reason it's a good idea to do this anyway is because it's a it's a gimmick that is designed to get around another gimmick. The gimmick that it's designed to get around being this thing called the debt ceiling, and the debt ceiling exists just because um for whatever reason there's just been this arbitrary limit that people have decided they need to put on government spending and it goes back for for a really long time and i guess i guess what i'm getting at the most important thing about this coin thing is that it's not anything new 
we've basically since we invented the debt ceiling been coming up with various workarounds uh, yeah. to to get money injected into the economy without technically causing the government to go into debt. Like it's coming from like a side angle, not from the top or whatever. So it's really just another one of these things we've been doing forever. Um, and this all sort of goes back to the invention of the treasury and the federal reserve. So I guess my first question is what is the federal reserve and why are libertarians always trying to blow <laughs> it up with like the Wiley coyote dynamite? Why do they hate it so much? What is the conflict here? Yeah, I mean, so the Mint, you know, this proposal, one of the ways we describe it is it's using fiscal money for fiscal policy. So the Mint is issuing its own money. The Mint is a sub-branch of the Treasury. And it's actually the oldest monetary institution in the United States. It was formed, you know, a few years after the Constitution was signed. It operated for over a century before the Fed ever came about. And even after the Fed was created in 1913, you know, th there was a sharing of the power to create money between the Treasury and the Fed. The problem is nowadays we've all imbibed this sort of neoliberal mentality that the Federal Reserve is the only entity in the whole government that can create money. And because of that, if the, if the Treasury wants to deficit spend, you know, if we want to kind of spend on good public programs, we either have to kind of borrow from the private sector. Or we have to come with our handout, sort of begging the, the Federal Reserve and its sort of powerful majesty to, to help us out and grant us, you know, some sort of small allowance that we can then spend. The reality which we're trying to make clear with this proposal is that these two institutions have always been sort of more like siblings than a kind of older, younger relationship or something. They were always co-equals in this money creation power. And the debt ceiling that you're talking about um, on one hand, it's a relic of a different monetary system. It's a relic of a monetary system where having dollar bills meant you could theoretically get gold. Um, someone had to obligate to sort of give you a certain amount of gold based on how many dollars you had. And in that world, the difference between money and government debt is real because it's the difference between being able to get gold today and being able to get gold 30 years from now when your government bond becomes you know, redeemable in money. So in that world, government debt and government money are very different. In, in a world like today, where the only thing you get if you take in a $100 bill is five $20 bills, the difference between that and $100 of debt is not very big. Um, now, a lot of the libertarians don't really understand that. They still have this gold standard world. They're sort of living in an era that no longer exists in their minds. And so they think that sort of the Federal Reserve is engaged in sort of funny money. It's creating stuff out of nothing. It's sort of manipulating the natural order of things. You know, there's this sort of very um, sort of object permanent idea that only the stuff that sort of you can hold in your hand and we that weighs a lot is actually worth anything. And this coin does something kind of, I think, quite sort of special in trolling them because it is a coin, right? It is made out of metal. It is sort of something that should have get all the gold bugs singing. But instead of being something where it's a two tons of platinum, you know, you're rolling it down the road <laughs> and you're hacked out of some gold mine at the beginning of Uncut Gems or something, it's, it's, a, it's a coin the size of, you know, a quarter that you can fit in your pocket. It just happens to say a trillion dollars on it. That is I'm not going to lie. It would be really cool if it was a gigantic fucking coin. It should be bigger than a quarter, at least. Yeah, so what, what I've been saying that it should be like paper mache, and then you like break it open, <laughs> and there's just a tiny little coin in the bottom, and that that's the yeah, sort yeah. of anti-climax. But yeah, so for 400, 500 years, the law has been really clear that if you're the sovereign entity, if you're the, like the entity that makes the laws, you write the laws, you know, all that kind of stuff, if you say something's worth $100, it's worth $100. It's not worth like the amount of gold that it was worth at the day you signed it. It's worth the face value 
of the thing. Like it's the stamp that's more important than the metal. And so in this case, like the trillion dollars is worth a trillion dollars. Legally, it's as much legal tender as every other dollar bill in the country. It's just that it's nothing to do with the amount of platinum inside. And it's everything to do with, you know, the treasury secretary's signature on the, the law approving this or whatever else comes out. Um, so that, that's the idea is to sort of blow people's heads about this. And in doing so, start a much more constructive conversation about where money comes from so that we don't find ourselves at the mercy of the same right-wing austerians and things that we saw after the last big crisis. Because we spent okay. in the middle of that crisis, but then the minute it was over, we, we tightened our belts again, so to speak. I, can't, I have a, a question because um, on this show, we're sort of uh, vulgar Marxists, if you will, and there's been <laughs> uh, some contention about this issue. I am really curious to see if you know I can get someone like you uh, and like James Meadway to take DMT and then debate MMT. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> something I would love to hear, but um, I guess one of the criticisms is that modern monetary theory, uh, at least for sovereign currencies, sort of views currency creation as uh, sort of floating above the real economy, where there are a lot of inequalities and a lot of redistribution that needs to happen with you know the military-industrial complex or wealth. Um, is there a danger that uh, MMT sort of elides that class conflict that at least as, as leftists we, we sort of see as necessary? I mean, I don't think so. I think a lot of us are pretty upfront about the need for class conflict. And if you look at the kinds of politicians we support and the kinds of issues we support, we're pretty, you know, I think we've got a pretty good track record of supporting good things and mm-hmm. certainly not shying away from, you know, union representation and, and direct class struggle. I mean, one of the things I think that, that often comes out of this is even the people who criticize this, they criticize MMT for focusing on money, acknowledge that the financial sector is really important mm-hmm. and acknowledge that the financial sector is engaged in all sorts, so, uh, you know, sorts of money creation activities that give them their structural power in the economy. They're sort of printing money hand over fist to serving themselves. And then when there's a crisis, they say, oh, we're essential to the economy because if you let us fall, you know, there won't be any other way to keep the economy growing. And that whole narrative serves to empower, A, the rich, who are sort of the geese that lay the golden eggs. You know, you can tax them a little bit, but you can't tax them too much. Otherwise, they don't have any more golden eggs to lay, and then we're all screwed. Or they're sort of centering the structural financial sector, um, the, the entities that are sort of responsible for creating money sort of at an institutional level. And both of those narratives, I would say, and I think a lot of sort of progressive MMTs would say, is ultimately disempowering. It's ultimately centering these other entities as the sort of source of value, the source of salvation. Whereas the idea that, you know, we can create public jobs and hire people for them, and that narrative has doesn't have anything to do with the market. It doesn't have anything to do with kind of, you know, private profit, none of that stuff. We can hire them on purely social grounds. And secondly, that the money we need to finance the future, you know, world that we want to build doesn't have to come from rich people. It doesn't have to come from banks, corporations. It can be something that we generate on our own terms. That isn't about eliding class conflict. That's about trying to show a vision of what winning class conflict looks like and how to get there. And I think that what you often see is the antithesis is, and, and people like Midway will say this, you know, we need to tax private capital because they're too, you know, they're too powerful, which we agree with. But then they say, if we don't tax them, we don't have enough money to pay for good policies. And we say, no, that's stupid. If you if you can get a political policy passed, if you can get something with the votes to pass, and the only thing holding it back is whether you can sort of impose a tax on the rich at the same time. Well, 
In our view, you want to fight both of those fights, but you don't want to hold up one until the other because that's exactly the way that everybody on the other side wants that fight to go down. They want it to seem like the only way you can pay Peter is to rob Paul because they've built a whole defense system around, uh, around you know, robbing Paul and they don't want you to ever pass good spending bills. Like if we had, you know, Medicare for all and a job guarantee and, you know, public free college, that would radically empower a lot of people to, to argue for bigger and better things. But if the argument is always we can't get those things until we, you know, take back a dollar from this one person, then that's a sort of hill that they love us to go and die on and none of those other things ever get passed. And then 30 years go by and people say, oh, government can't do anything. Hmm. And I, I think that's the challenge is that none of us here are trying to ally class conflict. What we're trying to do is win and to show a narrative of making those people obsolete. Right. Well, this yeah. is I think we need a, a trillion dollar golden egg too. That would be. Yeah. I mean, I, either money grows on rich people or money is something that we create value in society and we can cut those bastards out of the process entirely. Right. But you would, uh, just to clarify, this is for sovereign uh, currencies like, like the dollar. This wouldn't necessarily apply to like a, a country like Greece that doesn't. Well, so p- part of this is, you know, I, I sort of sometimes liken this without wanting to be too uh, normative about it. It's like a theory of development. You know, if you've got some, if you've got a child, just because they're not a full grown adult yet, doesn't mean understanding sort of the way the human body evolves isn't useful. So if you've got an entity that doesn't have full monetary sovereignty, maybe that's the problem. You know, if we said to Greece, and I spoke to, I remember speaking to the Syriza leadership about this when they came to the United States, we had an event with uh, Alexis Tsipras. And I said to him, you know, what are you going to do if they are willing to kick you out? And he looked me in the eye and he said, oh, look, you know, they'll blink. No, they won't want to kick us out. We'll be the canary in the coal mine. And then when they got into the negotiations process, it was very clear that um, Schaubler and the Germans were willing to kick out Greece and sort of form this northern European currency bloc. Yeah. Uh, Greece had no more bargaining chips left. And the people who were in charge of developing a plan B was Yanis Varoufakis and a bunch of economists led by Jamie Galbraith. And they just didn't have a vision of, of how to set up a parallel currency in a short enough amount of time to make it a viable bargaining chip. And so in that situation, you know, I would say a lot of those old Marxists in Syriza probably should have spent a little bit more time thinking about how to develop that alternative monetary power so that Greece could have gotten out from under the yoke of the euro or, you know, threatened to issue a parallel currency credibly that would have then forced the ECB to take more, you know, whatever measures. But they kept resisting right up until the point the ECB shut down the banking system in Greece. And that's where they lost. Hmm. And you can sort of see that in the trajectory right up until that point in June. And they lost and they said, okay, we can't keep can't keep fighting along. So I, I would say these are not issues that are unrelated to the rest of the world. People like Fadel Kaboub have done a lot of work on MMT's application to developing countries. Um, Ndongo Siller in West Africa just wrote a whole book about how important it is to understand the West African monetary union and all the colonial politics around that currency union, which is basically still being run by France. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those things are things that like a proper understanding of money and the financial system around the world is makes you better able to understand how to do better in and find the right strategy and, you know, put pressure on the right pressure points, I would say. Um, yeah, well, it's, I, you know, we can kind of have that debate all day. This is kind of an interesting question. Are these two things mutually exclusive? Um, I, without even, without going further down that hall, I guess, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the 
skeptical questions that people would have about this thing. This idea that, uh, you know, we've got this bill that proposes taking kind of a loophole where you can uh, mint a coin very cleverly. It's a platinum coin because if you mint it with the other uh, metals, they have rules about how much, you know, they can be worth. Uh, a nickel is five cents because it's made of nickel or whatever. Platinum coin, no rules on it. Brilliant, right? We've got this idea. We'll make a really, really expensive one deposit it at the Federal Reserve, uh, that causes the money to be able to sort of flow freely from there. There you go, right? Um, this, uh, you know, this seems like a workaround because it is, uh, but it seems like it's also sort of a temporary kind of uh, uh, patchwork thing that will at least get us out of the situation. I guess someone who is skeptical of this plan would point to this fucking thing everyone's always losing their shit about known as hyperinflation as like, you know, a big scary like specter at the end of this story. Um, Is this going to cause hyperinflation, which will lead to wheelbarrows full of cash and Nazi Germany all over again? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't take your wheelbarrows out at this point with social distancing anyway. So that wouldn't be very (laughs) practical. Um, No. So, so the, the funny thing is that um, the, 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 the opposition to this proposal almost breaks down pretty cleanly, like 50% saying this would be absolutely catastrophic. And then 50% saying this would be so unnecessary because it basically does what we do now that it's not even worth doing because it's sort of just a nothingness. So depending on who you ask, when, when you look to you know, speak to haters about it, some of them say this would be kind of world ending and the others would say it would be a complete nothing burger. And the difference there falls down on how much you think of running the, the sort of printing presses to, to mint this coin as different from the way the government spends normally. So I think right now, pretty much across the spectrum, people agree the threat facing the economy is deflation, right? Not inflation. We're in a situation where right. incomes are dropping, demand is dropping, prices are dropping overall. There are some bottlenecks in certain industries we have to be aware of and careful about, but we aren't in some situation where sort of all the, all the factories are full, all the output is being bought, you know, we're kind of World War II level sort of full steam engine ahead. Even with social distancing, we're not at that stage in the economy. There's a lot of demand, there's a lot of spending that if we don't support is going to actually collapse even further, you know, sort of twice, three times, four times the level of the Great Depression. Okay, so and for so, just to stop for a second, for my stupider yeah. listeners, imagine that the economy is the Garfield float on the Macy's Day Parade. The threat here <laughs> is mm-hmm. deflation. We yeah, don't want it to collapses come down. And everything else collapses with it, right? And, you know, if you yeah. think about this in a basic sense, I, I lose my job, I stop buying shit, someone else loses their job because sales have gone down where I've stopped buying shit, and it kind of snowballs. So if you can find a way to prop up people's incomes like this bill is doing, you can at least arrest some of that decline, help people make their bills, help people buy basic staples, that kind of stuff. Is this... If if Garfield falls on Snoopy, Snoopy then falls... Yeah, everybody's sad. Exactly. You nailed it. It it looks like they're humping and then you have to cover your kid's eyes because (laughs) of the giant... Everybody's Tuesday morning is ruined. Exactly. (laughs) And who's holding up the balloons? The people. Right? That's right. Exactly. It's the people's air. Yeah. 
Um, I have a really stupid question because I uh, don't understand economics. Is this something you would compare to like a Keynesian situation? Yeah, so this is basic Keynes. I mean, you know, MMTs would always say just giving money isn't enough. If you really want to get to full employment, we should have a job guarantee. And there are other, you know, other relief bills that are also important now, like, you know, freezing rents and all those kinds of things and forgiving debts. So this is not designed to be a one-size-fits-all um, emergency response. This is just one kind of component. It also includes an emergency responder core to go right. give people their cards and to perform wellness checks and so in that sense you know there is a kind of direct job creation component and and representative Tlaib has written a really good piece in the appeal about how important that would be as a sort of first responder federally organized entity um but the other thing to to go back to is the debt ceiling when it was designed was actually designed to give more flexibility to the treasury i know that sounds counterintuitive because we think oh it's a ceiling it's a limit but really what it was like is before the debt ceiling, which kind of really came into its modern form in about 1939, the, before then, every time Congress would approve spending, it would sort of create a special financing authority for that bill. So if you had like a Panama Canal over here, you had like a water finance over there, you had the postal service to finance over there, each one would have its own special financing instrument. Sometimes there'd be bonds, sometimes it'd be direct money creation, sometimes it's something else. What the debt ceiling did was basically consolidate all of them into one like general credit card, you know, one general spending authority. So it was basically Congress saying to Treasury, look, we're not going to micromanage all of the different funds we're going to give you. We're going to give you this overall amount. And if it turns out you need to spend a little bit more over here and a little bit less over here, you can work out all those differences. We'll just give you this general upper limit and everything below that you kind of have discretion over. So to move into the modern world when... As I mentioned earlier, the difference between government debt and government money is not really that different. Big big banks and things hold government debt as money. So you're spending into an economy that needs more spending. You're not quote unquote, quote unquote printing money in a way that you weren't before. And this money is going into people's pockets, helping the economy, all that kind of stuff. It's not actually kind of catastrophic at all, but it isn't a nothing, you know, it isn't irrelevant because it blows people's minds. And in doing so, we actually have a very different conversation. This isn't, oh, we're going to borrow during the crisis and we're going to pay it back, which is how some people read Keynes. You know, it isn't, well, we can borrow a little bit now, but we really have to be careful in case interest rates rise in the future, you know, which is how some center lefties talk about it. It's sort of get all the spending in while the going's good. This is a different way of saying it and saying, look, we can do this because it's our money. We create it. There's no difference between quote unquote borrowing and, and, and printing money. So let's not open ourselves up to being attacked the minute this crisis is over by all the austerians and the balanced budget people who are going to use this as an excuse to gut social security and Medicare and all the things they've always wanted to gut, but they, they never let a crisis go to waste. Uh, I'm curious about the, uh, the what you think the role of the Fed uh, should end up being. I, you know, of course, remember yeah. Ron Paul was on his kick a few years ago. End the Fed. Uh, is that something we need to be entertaining, or, or do we need to do we need to rethink its relationship to the Treasury? What's what's the ideal uh, place for the Federal Reserve to play? How do I go yeah. back to buying gold? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can buy gold now, and they actually come with a free tin hat as well every time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so so yeah, I think there is definitely a need to rethink the Fed. I think I'm certainly very sympathetic to a lot of the criticisms uh, of the Fed. Um, one of the things is that people often think that the job of the Fed now is sort of printing the money, right? This is a classic right-wing long-term strategy to uh, create a division of labor where the Fed gets to create all the money, 
and then the tr- and then the sort of treasury and congress just does like redistribution you know it takes from one person with taxes and it gives to another in spending that narrative is is sort of not true but it's a great way to sort of give the fed a lot of powers and take away those powers from congress to sort of prevent redistribution um and the fed today you know its major job is changing interest rates which it thinks is going to have a certain impact on the economy right you raise interest rates that's supposed to make credit more expensive you know supply and demand boink 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 means that it's supposed to be less lending i don't think that's actually accurate because when you raise interest rates you're actually paying somebody you know if i'm holding a 5% 30 year treasury bond and interest rates go up to 10% i've made a lot more money it's like my savings account has gone up so there's always sort of two sides to that equation i actually think it would be better for the fed to use different tools in the future if it wants to try to sort of mess with private credit which i think is great you know there should be less casino loans going out there good mm-hmm. the best way to do that is just regulating that stuff directly and they were doing this sort of in the post war fdr era they were saying every time a bank makes a loan that's basically printing money so if we have government spending commitments we want to do and there are these banking lending commitments they want to do well maybe we need to weigh those against each other and see which one's more important the banks hate that right they love it if it seems like it's this sort of free market for capital and the only thing the government is doing is tweaking this interest rate at the edge of the whole thing um i think that's really harmful so we don't need to necessarily get rid of the whole fed but we can certainly change it so that it's not messing with interest rates change it so that it's responsible for directly regulating credit and make really clear that nothing that the treasury does <laughs> has to kind of get approval from the fed or kind of go begging with their cap out for you know sparing a nickel so to speak none of that stuff is true if the treasury wants to spend without worrying about national debt and all that bs it can just do that and the mint sitting right there and that's a kind of empowering narrative that we're trying to tell whatever the hell you think about the fed put that aside it's irrelevant the treasury can do what it needs to do on its own it's not going to cause the economy to collapse and it's going to avoid all the bs that we normally hear about running out of money Right. And part of this uh, whole mint the damn coin thing and the imagery of it just being a cool looking coin and stuff has to do with uh, changing the narrative a little bit. Right. Like there is a a demystification we're trying to do here. Um, There are various ideas for what to put on the coin that I find fun. There's a there's a a, a, what do you call it? Like a poll they did in Slate. They had people send in various designs. One of them that people wanted to put on the coin back in 2013 was that famous picture of Joe Biden when he's got that biker woman on his <laughs> <Yeah>. knee. <laughs> didn't it didn't age too well, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine if that was uh, yeah. the I'm, symbol of all of our currency right now? Pretty yeah, fitting. a lot of people are talking about Donald Trump. A lot of people are talking about you know George Washington or whatever. You know. I like represented Talib's face. You know that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that would I think probably be like a pretty normal answer to this. I thought it was pretty funny. I read that Slate article, and obviously they just got internet trolled. People were just sending them like memes and stuff, and like the weird yeah yeah uh, you sure. know, doomer guy and shit. There, uh, a bunch of people wanted it to be Barack Obama doing the Doctor Evil pinky finger thing. That's pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, but what I'm getting at here was with, with the aesthetic part of this is. We're trying to do something really massive, I guess, which is like break people out of this uh, kind of little paralysis they're in. There's this hypnosis where they're like, no, 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 you can't do this because I've been told all these catastrophic things will happen. And I guess to try to like explain why that's not the case, I found it interesting. I want to talk a little bit about this. I found it interesting that 
on the FAQ part of the Mint the Coin website, you went into the origins of money. You felt it necessary to go that far back and go, all right, if we're going to have this argument, what the fuck is money? And something I thought was really interesting that Zilis proposed in this argument is that um, everyone starts off under the assumption that it's like a representative thing for bartering to make bartering easier, but there's a yeah. historical argument can be made that it comes from like um, like temples and uh, and like pr- the first prisons and stuff like that in terms of like yeah, the yeah. government fining people and having to represent the way in which it would fine you for committing a crime. And then that sort of currency they create for that specific thing just starts to get passed around and used for various other things. And it sort of grew from there. So it always was nothing to begin with. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the earliest archeologists of writing itself think that it comes from tokens that were used as a sort of tax receipt. So you'd like give three cows and you get these three little, you know, triangle tokens. And then when the tax person would come around, you'd give them the tokens. And then they started storing these 3D clay tokens in tubes and to sort of, you know, prevent the tax man from skimming a couple of clay triangles, you know, for himself. Uh, And then they would start sealing these tubes, um, you know, sort of break upon receipt kind of thing. And they would write on the outside what's in the tube so that you kind of know, you know, this tube contains exactly this amount of stuff. Uh, And then they realized after a while, well, look, we don't need to actually have anything inside the tubes. We've got all the information on the outside. And then they started rolling them flat. And that's the sort of origins of sort of clay tablets in the ancient, you know, Near East. And so, you know, the earliest writing technologies were intimately connected to sort of tax collection and receipts and things. And David Graeber talks about the, 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 uh, penal system origins, which is sort of parallel, which is sort of, you know, you, you piss me off if you're a mate of mine, you know, and I, you bought a round of beers next time. Maybe I won't buy you a round of beers this time or something. I don't know. But like, if you kill my brother and we're of like different tribes that happen to live kind of semi peacefully in a, in a, you know, combined area, then I need to be fully compensated for that. Otherwise, you know, we're going to war kind of, you know, Godfather style. Give me those tubes. Yeah, so the question of how much you have to pay someone, you know, if we're all talking about mates and, you know, family, friends and things, you might not keep count the same way, right? You might be like, oh, that guy's a bit of a cheapskate, you know, never buys around and stuff, but you're not kind of keeping count. Whereas if you're talking about sort of strangers or people outside your your family and you're in a larger social unit, then the ability to kind of pay (coughs) these debts, you know, exactly, you know, exactly 43 shekels for one eye or whatever it is, becomes really important to sort of keep the peace. Um, and and those, were, those are rituals, right? Like you don't get your brother back when someone pays you 43 cows or whatever it is. You don't get your brother back, but you have this sort of ritualistic act that is supposed to sort of keep the peace and help people heal societally. Like if someone, you know, not that I believe in incarceration, but someone goes to jail and they say, okay, they paid their price to society. We can sort of forgive them and let them back in. It's that same kind of ritual. And so if you think about the coin, the coin is a ritual that like, you know, 10 year olds can understand. It's sort of the Olympic flame going into the, you know, the Olympics at the start or something. It's the, it's the, you know, singing the national anthem before the football game kind of thing. Whereas if you start talking about the federal reserve and overdrafts and selling securities to primary dealers who sell them in the secondary market for an arbitrage profit, everybody is asleep except the like sociopathic business student who plans on sort of making a trillion dollars off this information. It's not, the ritual that kind of empowers the public to understand what the hell is going on with their monetary system. Mm. 
I'm curious right. real quick if like when people put uh, faces on money, you know, like we're talking about, you know, Harriet Tubman or a different president or whatever, does that have an impact depending on the face and the person on like financial markets? Oh, I don't, I don't think it does. I mean, so government debt, right? The stuff that we think of as, you know, borrowed from China and all that stuff, once upon a time used to exist as a paper security. It looked like a dollar bill. It was just kind of bigger. Um, I was just rewatching because I got nothing better to do in this crisis, uh, Panic Room with Jodie Foster. And the whole point of that movie is that there are sort of criminals breaking in to try and get government bonds that are sort of in paper form, you know, in the Panic Room. And like, we, we used to have really interesting conversations about what would go on those things when, you know, ancient emperors in Roman stuff would die. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thing the new emperor would do is restrike all the coins with his face on it. Sort of there's a new, you know, there's a new guy in town, uh, better represent. And, uh, and the fact that, you know, the U.S. has historically not had living presidents on their paper was sort of something that people, some people take pretty seriously as a way to kind of, you know, prevent worshipping of despots and all that kind of stuff. I know I grew up in Australia. The queen was on my currency and, you know, I certainly can't really bear her any ill will given the, all the money that she's sent my way over the years. So I guess it's had some effect on my uh, ideology. I'm just wondering if like, if we were to actually put Rashida Tlaib on there, if ever if, like the, <laughs> the creditors would just freak out. I mean, I, I, can you imagine, Trump, can, you, like, can you imagine Donald Trump signing it? I, I, I can't imagine him signing it with anybody else's face. You know, I'm not advocating we should put his face on it, but honestly, if he had to sign something, give anyone else more. If that's a himself, deal breaker, I mean, he could easily be persuaded if that's, yeah, you know, it's not like anyone's gonna have the coin. Like you might yeah, as well put his face on it. You gotta keep something in the back pocket for negotiations, right? I'm right. not gonna put all the cards on the table on day one. Yeah. He he should have like a little diet coke on the coin that he's drinking. <laughs> it's just him like like biting into a massive Big Mac, just his mouth kind of fully really wide open, you know. Yeah. Well, this is definitely where I wanted to kind of uh, take this conversation and then let whoever's listening's mind fly. I really wanted to get into the space of being really high and looking at the back of a dollar bill, like in half baked. What the fuck is this? There's like Illuminati there. There's like a signature (laughs) for a legal document there. There's, yeah. Um, I think, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the other thing about sort of the coin is. Um, you know, this bill, as I mentioned at the outset, includes a provision to move towards a government-issued digital currency system. And part of it is bank accounts for all, run at the Fed, administered through the postal service, like, you know, avoid all the shitty fees and fines and all that kind of stuff. Easier to get money in the future for a relief package or whatever. Um, but the other part is a digital cash instrument, something that functions like coins and paper money, but in a digital realm where there's no central ledger of all your transactions. If you think about, you know, sex workers and marijuana businesses and stuff, all these people who might not want everything they do with their money to be, you know, surveilled and a record sent to central command. And the coin is the best metaphor of that in human history. The coin has been the most anonymous form of money throughout history. You know, you've got a banknote, you have to cash that at the right bank, or that note might have been signed over to you, or there'll be a record on a bank account somewhere. If you've got a coin, you can carry that in your pocket, you know, to the to the far lands and beyond. You know, it's 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 something that stays with the person who's the owner of it. And so in that sense, you know, as we're in this digital, you know, Bitcoin this and Potcoin and Dogcoin, all this like digital currency kind of world that we're in now, the coin is a very powerful monetary, you know, symbol, I would say, that we need to think about as we design, you know, public money.
public digital. Well, my final question is, what do we do when Nicolas Cage breaks into the uh, Federal <laughs> Reserve, steals the coin, and then he has all the money in the economy? How does that work? I mean, the beautiful thing is that, you know, it wouldn't be hard to come up with a criminal case against someone who stole a trillion dollar coin. It's like, well, where else did you get it? You know, it's like I've been saving under my mattress for months. You know, this is a different coin. Don't worry about it. I'm going to do all the laundry in the world with this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, you throw them off. You get the million dollar coins they keep in there. Those you can, you can fuck around with those. Yeah, you just go to you go to like the the arcade and you just put the coin in and it comes out with like four hundred million little coins. <laughs> I do have a, a friend whose brother his job is to sell gold on the phone, so he could yep. be a great proprietor. <laughs> like, Most Americans have this job now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I mean you know um, my, my theory is put it put it on a little pedestal in the uh, Smithsonian and then you know let people try to steal it and that can be a TV show and that'll boost the art sector. It's fine. Yeah, that'll be good for the economy. Just yeah. uh, big, uh, who can steal the coin? Um, yeah, well, that also, I think, yeah, it's, it's good that we got to that, the, uh, the completely digital currency thing and the reasons for it. Um, other than that, is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get out of here? I know that like uh, the, the First Responders Corps is a very cool part of this bill. Um, I don't know, anything else? Yeah, I mean, just just that we, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the coin. I think it's really interesting to sort of how we finance it, how to avoid these austerity, you know, fights in the future. But the goal of this really was just help people. It is about the cash relief. It's about the recurring payments. It's about getting it to everybody, you know, regardless of your immigration status or anything else. It's about, you know, recognizing how many people are going to fall through the cracks. And the the proposal for like an inequality commission after the crisis, part of that is to recognize we're never going to you know, make sure that this crisis and the, the way that we responded to it is like inequality neutral on a, on a bill by bill basis. This has to be a kind of system wide, top down, root to branch reimagining of our economy because there's so many grifts going out right now that the one to worry about is not the proposal to give every person cash relief. It's those big high town, high end of town, you know, programs that are the ones where, you know, all the, all the piggies are at their troughs. And that, that's what we need to focus on after the crisis if we're caring about, you know, fairness and those kinds of things. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that uh, probably is a good place to wrap this up. Rowan, thank you very much. And let my listeners know where they can learn more, where they can support this bill, where they can do whatever. Yeah, yeah. If you can go mintthecoin.org, that has all the information about the proposal. Um, you can also look at the House bill on Representative Tlaib's uh, uh, website. And uh, if you go to mintthecoin.org slash join, you can uh, speak to your congressperson about uh, supporting the bill. Mint the coin. Mint Thanks, the guys. coin. Mint it. Yeah, that, that was Rowan Gray on coins. On coins. Um, we to answer a question you just asked me off the mic. I one time I uh told my grandfather, he's dead now, he won't hear this. I told him, um, I was like watching a commercial. Remember when there was like a commercial for like two payments of 2095 or whatever? You could order that like map with all of the state oh, yeah. quarters. Oh, yeah, in. I uh, I went like. Huh, that looks cool, or something like really innocuous like that. 
And yeah. he just latched onto it and for years was just like, my grandson loves coins. And every year for like Christmas, I got that map. I had one of those and like, I don't like coins. I, have I no had one too in a very similar story. <laughs> All you have to do, you just have to show a sign of weakness of maybe having yeah. fondness for a coin. And an old man will pick up on that and he'll mint you all kinds of wonderful coins. You like money. Old yeah. men love when children like coins, man. They, they love fucking it. can't wait. I remember because they're from an older time. But it was worth <laughs> more, yeah. I, I remember being outside of McDonald's when I was like seven or eight. And I found a quarter on the ground and I like, was just learning to read and it said quarter dollar. And I was like, oh, whoa, this is a quarter that's worth a dollar. So I went in, tried to get my cheese <laughs> and then they explained to me what, a, what that actually means. <laughs> Clerks hate him. The boy who misreads a quarter. <laughs> oh, man. Young Anders is the, the funniest image to me. It should say so. quarter of a dollar. Just Anders <laughs> persuasively telling someone at a cash register that his quarter is worth a dollar. Just refusing to take no for an answer, waiting for the cheeseburger. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. are people who. I saw a video once where somebody. Uh, found it had a two dollar bill and they tried to use it at some store and the clerk was like that's counterfeit there's no two dollar bills and then they, like, <laughs> and he's like no this is money and they called the cops and the cop <laughs> had never heard of two dollar bills either so this person just got arrested which those are real they, I'm always real. afraid that's going to happen whenever I get one of those. Yeah, but they don't. But that's the thing is there actually are a lot of them. People just every time they get one, they're like, holy shit, I have a $2 bill. So they save it. So it seems like there's not that many, but they're, so they're not in circulation. They and, are, uh, but they're, people save them. They don't use them. They don't know. Bar- we need to mint the, mint the two. Mint the two. Mint the damn two. In the uh, damn two. bartending, it's, uh, it's like a fuck you to give somebody a $2. It's like bad luck. Everyone just throws them at each other's tip jars and shit. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Oh, so it's not like, like it's not like a pirate's death. Like people do it in in jest. When you're doing work where you're like <laughs> doing your own till and shit at the end of the night, it is annoying to have something like a two dollar bill because yeah. it like complicates. You know, you got to put them under money. under the cash register because there's no yeah. slot for it. Yeah, yeah, you put it under there with the weird like credit cards and yeah. shit and then and, and then your manager's like places. oh there must be some hundreds down here just two dollar bills well this isn't what i wanted <laughs> i had this crazy fucking shift one time where i just got slammed and i was like there hours late because like somebody slept in and forgot to come to work and then i like was finishing up i remember i was like okay just this one last credit card and i it was in New York, and so all the bars have the old timey like ching cash register. And I looked at the guy, and I was like, "Here you go." And I sh- accidentally shut the cash register, and somehow it pulled his credit card like inside of the guts of the cash register. Oh. I had to spend like an hour, like in the middle of a slammed restaurant, with, like screwdrivers and shit, taking apart a register to get this guy's credit card back. And he was like so fucking mad at me. He was I'm like, "I'm getting anxiety just point. from hearing you tell yeah, me about I, this." Dude, I, <laughs> this sounds so like a much. dream I've had. <laughs> I had to, it felt like I was like gonna punch it, like in Street Fighter. <laughs> Like all the yeah. money comes flying out and shit. Oh, it's all right. and then you're like you're trying to like make him feel better the whole time too. You're like I'm just gonna <laughs> smash it. I'm gonna smash. I'm gonna smash the cash register. 
Well, it was really stressful because it took like 10 minutes to figure out that that had even happened because I was like opening it over and over again going, where the fuck? Like I was pulling all the shit apart. Yeah. Going, this doesn't make any sense. It was right there. And then I like <laughs> figured out that it got caught on the bottom of it and like pulled inside in the most specific, unlikely physical thing ever to fucking happen. It's crazy. Sounds like the treasury, how they mint, how they mint dollars. <laughs> I was imagining. Uh, that young, does sound like that. <laughs> young Anders Lee trying to buy the burger. And he goes, uh, cheeseburgers. Well, as it happens, I have Asperger's. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a segue. Speaking of cheeseburgers, <laughs> he's segueing into his pavement. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Have you guys ever had to deal with uh, quick change artists? Is that people with the, uh, with the think- fake money? No, the people who like will just come in with like a wad of one dollar bills and be like, "Hey, can I have a twenty? With like a, a like a just a giant stack of ones, and you're like uh, okay, and then like then you count it first, and it's this happened to me, and it was like nineteen singles. Okay, and so I was like, uh, "This is not twenty dollars," and then the guy just like got like really flustered and swore at me and left. You would have to do that so many times for that to be worth your time. There are people who are good at it, apparently. Like the, you make the, a yeah. dollar every time but, you do it. But then you keep going. You keep you keep saying like, "Oh, uh, twenty? Can I get three tens for this 20? And then like, you know, they they need a they need someone who doesn't have Aspergers who will fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> who just wants to get rid of them? Yeah. So no. But my, my much more common thing was uh, somebody has the fake dollar bills but you know they check for the 50 ones you hold those up to the light hundreds you hold those up to the light maybe even a 20 if you get a fake 10 you can probably use that yeah yeah right nobody's gonna catch a fake 10 i re- you remember that show um what was it it was a cop show on fox that was like they're like you know lapd detectives it's called but- cops <laughs> that's one of them it was like speedball or something but uh, true detective just- season two no, it was on, it was on. What is it? Uh, but there are these two detectives, and the, and one of their dads. Two detectives. One, uh, they, one well, of Family dads, Guy episode where Peter's a detective. I think it would have just been called. I'll figure it out. But uh, they <laughs> one of them had a dad who was a counterfeiter, and so like they, he was like, yeah, I remember growing up. He'd print all these these doll these bills these hundreds, and then he also would make these jars of coins. It's like what counterfeiter is <laughs> making coins? Bills well, make goes sense. full circle for us then. <laughs> yeah. Old men be loving coins. <clears throat> it was an old man. It was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I've seen slugs before, like fake quarters that people use to try to like get free video games and shit. Yeah, with the string in it, and you put it in, you pull it back out. Yeah, like a play donkey car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> before we get out of here, I guess if we want to talk about these goddamn conspiracy videos. I, for one, have been watching a lot of them. That's the part of like quarantine that I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Out Fast of Lane. Shadows. Fast Lane. That's it. Sorry. Fast Lane. Right. There was also a movie called Quick Change, I think. 
<clears throat> and there's a movie called Loose Change, and that's what we're about to talk oh, about right now. Holy shit. <laughs> Amazing segue. You, you blew Andrews' mind with that segue. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I watched uh, I watched Out of Shadows last night when I was really drunk. That's the documentary. That's uh, it's really well produced because it's like made by a Hollywood guy. It's made by a stunt man who has clearly has brain damage from being a stunt man, and it's I guess about PizzaGate. It, which is really weird because it just came out like after coronavirus. So like it came out in 2020 at the peak yeah. of Pizzagate. <laughs> <It's like not laughs> right even, when everyone's talking about it. <laughs> it doesn't even have any new information or anything. It's just some guy. I guess he's been working on this movie for like a long time. Um, yeah. I, 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 I saw part of this with you after you were mentioning it, but the weird part about this movie, cause they, there's a bunch of like right wing grifter uh, docuseries out right now, but this one is, is hosted by, by the stunt guy who keeps forgetting what the movie's about. <laughs> so it'll start and it'll be like, yeah, I once I tore a ligament and I went to the nurse and she told me the devil's real. And that, that reminded me it was working on Spider-Man two. And then there's just like footage of Spider-Man two for a while. There's enough of Zoolander in that movie that I wonder if it is legally like allowed. (laughs) This guy's like argument in this movie was interesting because like the problem with conspiracy movies like this that go viral is that they sometimes have things in them that are true, like true premise, wrong solution or wrong conclusion or something like that. Um, And his, you know, kind of thing that gets fixated on eventually when this movie becomes about something is that he discovers the CIA Pentagon programs that, you know, that are real, where they have like deals with Hollywood, where they get funding for representation and stuff like that. I watched the show Homeland for a job for a long time before Homeland Security came to my apartment. And they look like they look in the show Homeland. I remember going like, oh, it's you from my TV show that I have to play. Because, uh, you know, that, that's a real thing. But then, like, he discovered that and then was just like, you know, this means that Pizzagate is real. Like, 100%. He, he started talking about Katy Perry at one point. It was like, you can tell that, like, Hollywood pedophiles made her do this, all this Illuminati occult shit. Uh, it was fucking crazy. <laughs> right, because it has the element of it that's like the Epstein stuff, which I guess is in vogue right now. People want to talk about, like, elite circles that are untouchable by any law that break all kinds of morality codes. But they specifically, the Pizzagate people have like a weird Christian like angle on it. Where it's like, they have to do the triangles. That's their, that's their handshake with Satan. Satan allows, it gives them the powers to yeah. make the, yeah. the, 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 the Harry Potter series. And that's why it sold so many pictures. Don't, don't you see? I was on that. This is a, a bunch of footage of me in uh, the Hulk three. <laughs> right, he just kept going. I was in a movie, then I broke my tibia, then I met a woman. There's like a whole section where he's talking about his pelvic floor therapist, who's like a woman he met, and like I think they fell in love and he became Christian or something with her. He Please, has God will be damage, good. right? He admitted to that pretty well. Right. I don't know he did, if he actually said he had brain damage, but he said he'd been in a, in a bunch of accidents. And like what I What he don't said was make- his job was being in cars that explode. <laughs> <laughs> he left it at that. <laughs> I don't want to give anyone shit over sounding like a Ninja Turtle and making a stupid thing where you try to make a point and that being sort of a hurdle to getting your point across because that would be throwing 
stones from an extremely glass house or whatever. But like the entire documentary, and it also is because he's from California and has that California dumb like surfer accent. But he's yeah. he's like talking kind of slow, and he's just like. Yeah, so then I was like, wait a minute, what are they all pedophiles? <laughs> so I don't know, I'm Irish at the end of that. But like, it's him and then the other woman that is in this documentary, all they both kind of talk like that. And you're like, guys... I think you might have brain damage. I think what it's like, what it's really a movie about because they keep forgetting what the uh, uh, like thesis of the film is, and that's why it's so aimless. Is it's a great expose on like when dumb Hollywood guys like try to engage with politics, what happens, and like what it looks yeah. like when most Americans try to like read between the lines of politics, or just like <laughs> it turns out the archangels—they're behind it all. <laughs> it was really interesting to me because I watched that and then I also watched the pandemic thing which is a like a, another conspiracy theory movie that went viral and it's like hard to find they keep taking it off of YouTube and stuff because I guess it's like you know either it's, it's telling dangerous. the truth or it's or it's maybe very irresponsible I don't you know I don't know who the fuck interesting question I guess why would they take it down but um it's basically a a documentary where they just interview this like anti-vaxxer woman who if you look into her she sucks like um one of the kennedys is like kind of work one of the kennedys that is an anti-vaxxer said she's the fucking best scientist ever but they're both anti-vaxxers right so mm-hmm. you see what's going on there um but she uh you know basically just she she fixates on dr fauci a lot and her theory is basically that he stands to make a lot of money off of the eventual vaccine or something or him and various other people and the the thing i guess that's really troubling to me about these movies is that um they both have that thing where there's like a, a not wrong place where they start where you know there is CIA funding in Hollywood and there also is a monetary private capitalist interest in healthcare. And both of those things are bad, but then they go off the people with this other shit. And right. Is the conspiracy that our plan is bad or is the conspiracy that our government from top to bottom is full of like horrible sociopaths who are just competing with each other to screw each other out of the most amount of money by design under capitalism. (laughs) Right. So the reason I guess I'm kind of fixated on this stuff right now is because um, I've been watching a lot of people on my Facebook feed who are like liberals, like sort of, you know, going, don't watch the pandemic movie. It's bad. It's like, yeah, sure. It's dumb. But then they sort of fixate on like the idea of experts and they're like, no one listens to the experts. You know, a big liberal thing is just like the people in charge who have college degrees. No one listens to them. Right. And, uh, you know, experts it's like famously agree on everything. Every expert. Right. The experts don't agree on right. everything. Right. <clears throat> um, they're paid like, not to. The, there are pandemic debunk uh, YouTube videos and there there's one that has like, you know, 6 million views or whatever already. Um, and that video, which people are like, look at this epic uh, hospital, you know, nurse guy taking down the pandemic video is also kind of bad because it's just this guy who looks like a me character from like a Nintendo Wii. Like, you know, you, you can play him in smash bros. He's got these huge eyes and he's, also got his own green screen set up in his apartment. Everyone just has these green screen setups now. And, uh, you know, he's like talking about how that woman's an anti-vaxxer, sure, and all this stuff about the video that's wrong. But then he just starts going into, like, defending private healthcare. And he's, like, he's debunking shit they say in the bad 
conspiracy video that is true, which is like this shit shouldn't be privatized. And he's saying, well, just because that guy in Plandemic said it, I need to explain why he was wrong about that, right? And so then he starts going into like how uh, our system like, you know, supposedly breeds innovation and stuff. And all these fucking dumbass liberals who just want to be mad at the Plandemic movie are like, this is epic. This guy's so smart. He's explaining why, you know, we can't dismantle Obamacare or whatever. And it's sure. like, Oh, that's also bad, I guess. It's the worst part of it almost because these movies are just so embarrassing on their face that if they didn't have the counterweight of the snarky liberal me character telling you that, no, don't listen to them or you'll make me mad, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? That gives it all the power it has culturally is you want to make that guy mad because he's such an asshole. Did you guys see that necklace goon from Florida? Uh, the other day on uh, 538's podcast saying that the idea that the 1% controls the government is a conspiracy theory. <laughs> well, Bernie Sanders is like the most successful conspiracy theorist of all time then. Yeah, <laughs> according to him. Because it is like, yeah, the Bernie Kratz, the, the Bernie bros, they love touting this conspiracy theory. But his reason why it's not real is because if you open up an economics textbook, on page one, you won't see that, that you won't see them say that the one percent controls the government. Right, right. It's rare that it would start with that. <laughs> but hey, welcome to. Uh, I'm sure there are like Milton Friedman has, you know, acknowledged that. Yeah, if you're rich, you have influence. In the yeah, if nothing else. That fucking capital in the 21st century book. Yeah, yeah. Talked about whole, it, and that's that a capitalist book. Yeah. yeah, that's a, like a liberal, you know. If the 1% control the book. economy, why haven't I heard of it? But this made me curious about um, these this series of documentaries that came out in the uh, aughts that were made by uh, an heir to the Johnson and Johnson uh, fortune. One of the Johnsons, um, this dude, Jamie Johnson, made like these couple documentaries in the 2000s about just being rich and like, is it bad that I'm rich? I don't know. Uh, and I found a couple clips from the first one. I tweeted them out. And one was like Ivanka saying that she doesn't know or she um, feels bad for people who don't understand what it's like to be rich. Because someone at an event was like, what's it like to be a, a millionaire? You, you just like don't feel pain, right? What's it like to not feel pain? <laughs> and she said that she felt sorry for him. It didn't make her feel bad. She was quick to clarify. Uh, she felt bad that people are so stupid that they don't understand. <laughs> that it's such an interesting there. cultural piece for that time period, right? right? Because no one was talking about that then. So you you had like the one window for rich shit kids to be like, is it a problem? I have a mountain of diamonds in my living room. <laughs> I don't want anyone to yell at me. I just need to know if it's bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's what this was. Cause like his conclusion, he made two movies and the second one, his conclusion is that we need like Piketty is the same thing as Piketty in, in capital. Well, in the 21st century we need a modest wealth tax to pay for a social safety net. And saying that almost got him like estranged from his family. Uh, and the whole like premise of the thing is like, oh yeah, my dad made a 
a documentary about apartheid South Africa, and that got him in real hot water. With his family. <laughs> it turns out a lot of our wealth family. comes from apartheid South Africa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should not have looked into it. <laughs> right. And then it turns out at the because he makes it sound like he went there and he filmed these people and was like shocked by it. And it turns out that he just like gave some money to a film producer who did it. And so his name was on it and he didn't really know what was in it. And his dad got mad at him. And that was like his big, uh, you know, rebellion. yeah. And then he, he reversed his ball. And now he's like, well, things are complicated. And that's the rejoinder they always give is like, things are just too complicated. You have to do more homework. It's not as simple as the rich control everything. When really it, it fucking is. It is. It is literally. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's we find simple. out later. <laughs> That's the third movie. Uh, would you recommend that one, Anders? Oh yeah, it's it's they're both worth watching. Um, especially yeah, if you're in in core and you're looking for things to watch, the first one is called uh, what is it? Born Rich, which was '03, and then the second one is the One Percent in '06. And it's very strange because they get the dad to do the same dynamic in both movies and act like in the second one it's the first time it's ever happened. It's really weird. Hmm. It's it's feels very set up, um, and yeah, Buffett apparently his granddaughter was interviewed in one of them, and she got like actually kicked out of the Buffett family <laughs> for like no. just being interviewed. They banned me from Margaritaville. <laughs> I can never go back. <laughs> oh, I'm thinking yeah. Jimmy Buffett. I'm thinking Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was funnier though but yeah oh damn oh, are they related is jimmy buffett of... could you imagine being kicked out of jimmy buffett's family what would you have to oh, fucking no. do what would you have those to people do? Are, they're you so chill to... you would have to do something horrible you just have to like you just have to be in a landlocked country and talk about how you really don't like the beach <laughs> or drinking you, i like, hate have it to be sober and in kansas and then I don't like sponge cake. I don't like cheeseburgers. Definitely don't like them in paradise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to be a uh, to not like paradise. Um, how about a song called Asperger's in Paradise? That'd be fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep making the same joke. <clears throat> That's all right. I have, yeah, I have uh, pedidnos is my technical diagnosis. We, it's not as fun as Asperger's. We have to, like, think of some, maybe it, maybe P is for penis. We can make something out of that. Asperger's sure. was provided a great disservice by having such a funny name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's then there's no reason it needs to be called that. It actually isn't even, they don't even use it in uh, the U.S. anymore, but it's still, like, just it's been a huge setback for it's the A word. neurodiversity. Yeah, <laughs> truly, this has really set back my people. But <laughs> we have to laugh. Um, okay. Um, I guess one thing I want to get to before we get out of here, I guess, is like the the reason I've been kind of fixated on conspiracy stuff lately is uh, I think I there's one that I think is kind of real, which is the astroturfing of all of the let me go to Baskin Robbins people all of the people that are showing up in tanks to yell at their governor about how they want to go back to work. That seems like it's Koch brothers shit. Like we've talked about on the show before. It seems like it's, there's not actually a mass working class movement of people that want to go back to work. It's people from the top that want to force their employees to go back to work so that, you know, there's not UBI and shit. There's no coin minted, all that crap. And, um, 
I've been worrying about how they've been getting that shit out because like it seems like every it seems like liberals play into part of that equation where everyone I know is like sharing these pictures of horrible people and in front of you know fucking Dunkin' Donuts or whatever demanding to go back to work and you know they're all like look how horrible and racist these people are look how look at this horrible sign and stuff and uh, to me it kind of seems like that somehow just even talking about this shit kind of bolsters the both sidesism of the argument that like that even exists I was thinking about this because I was listening to a podcast with a comedian that I like but it is very open-minded and maybe too much so. Uh, and they were like talking about how, you know, the, the, you have to look at both sides of this. The, people really are suffering because they can get back to work, you know, and then I want to rip my headphones out and go, what the fuck, you idiot, you know, but like, uh, it's worrisome that that, I, I thought we all realized that was bullshit, you know, nobody really wants to go back to work, right? But like, if, I think it's starting to kind of seep its way into the zeitgeist, to use a term, that's also the name of this conspiracy theory movie. Uh, I'm kind of alarmed that people are starting to think that that's real and normal, and then um, it's going to function the same way like the anti-Semitic, like the, the Jeremy Corbyn is anti-Semitic myth does, where no one actually believes it, but they believe everyone else believes it, so I guess you just got to go with it, you know? I mean, yeah. it's going to happen. It happens in every debate in American politics with the American worker loves working and loves supporting the family and the troops. It's it's part of our myth, you know? We're not oh, yeah. going to just suddenly get over it now. It's been there the entire time. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some astroturfing that's going on, but I think the concern is that if we don't have an alternative to work and to sending these people back to work in order to provide for themselves, then there probably will be, you know, more, uh, maybe not mass protests, but people want it. Because if, if you live in a world where there's just no alternative, you know, you just can't conceive of uh, not having to work in order to make ends meet, then, you know, you don't have a lot of options. And so you're going to versus, you know, going to work to your shitty job versus staying home and not having any money, you're probably going to choose the former. So I don't know. I think that's one of the, like we're talking about expanding the, our horizons of what money is. We should, you know, expand our horizons right. of, of work as well. Um, and this has been brought up before on other podcasts, but the, the part that really upsets people isn't so much that they can't go to work. It's that they can't function as full bodied consumers, which is uh, until now, the way people got their identities in this country was just like, I, earn money doing this and that lets me buy this and now that i cannot go to applebee's i am not a man anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah we need more animal crossing for people to buy they have to start making more of that goddamn game i saw something that nintendo's like sales over quarantine went up like 400 percent or something (laughs) so they're behind it it's safe to say nintendo did the virus uh look into nintendo why does Link? You know, why is the Triforce a triangle? Oh yeah, it's because of PizzaGate. Because of the because of PizzaGate Trilateral Commission. That also probably plays into it. Look into all why, of this. Get out a pen. Why is our theme song from Donkey Kong? Maybe we're connected oh, too. Maybe that's part of your conspiracy now. Damn. There's Don't. three of us. We're a triangle. Whoa. Pac-Man, Don't. you know, Ass. his mouth is a triangle. 
Pac-Man's mouth is a triangle. And so is Miss Pac-Man's. Pac-Man actually looks like a pizza with one slice taken out of it. Oh, Zelda, Jizz Lane, Jizz Lane Maxwell. Follow, Maxwell follow the, the ocarina. Yeah, Ganondorf. Ganondorf. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get the fuck out of here. Okay, Any? Um, is anybody working on anything? Any plugs? Why are you mad? Patreon for this show. Merch should be coming out uh, soon, probably beginning of next month. I'm still waiting on the bandanas to come in. Someone uh, got their shit sent back. It's sent back to my other mailbox. I'm going to figure it out. But if, you, if you're the one person that hasn't got your merch from last month, uh, I will send you something extra. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Uh, la, la, la. I think that's it for me. At Anders Lee here on Twitter. And please, phone bank for Michaela Wilkes. With, but Stenny, Stenchy Voyeur is doing a terrible job with this uh, relief package shit. He's, he's helped block good provisions like the Paycheck Guarantee Act, like expanding uh, Medicare. Um, he's fucking us over, and we have a chance. And I do, again, think it's really going to be close, and she could pull it off. Michaela Wilkes is running against him in the Democratic primary, Maryland's 5th District. Please give her a couple bucks. Phone bank for her. There's also Ginny's Lewis George in D.C. as well. Um, thank you, Anders. And do all of the things he said that sound helpful and then follow me on Twitter at Patak Jokes. Mint the coin, too. <laughs> and mint the, mint coin, the coin while you're coin. at it. Oh, I have one <laughs> more thing I forgot. Goddamn coin. <laughs> I'm going to start uh, getting drunk and doing tarot cards again on Instagram Live. Figures that it would be a good quarantine thing to do. So look out for that. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to post the day of. Clear your calendars. Funny. Clear your calendars. <laughs> All right. Mint the coin. Yeah, if you're in the treasury, mint the coin. It's minted. Just do it. It's minted. It's minted. <laughs> it's minted. <laughs> <laughs>